You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Time to lock and load. Time to get control. Time to search for soul and start again. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. David, we are coming off the <laughs> most exciting, the most riveting Super Bowl ever. Yes. You know, did you see Trey Wingo go off about people calling the Super Bowl boring? Uh, I did not, but I actually, uh, yeah, I was being a little facetious. I found the game to be entertaining personally, but yeah, I know with the new wave NFL of offense, <laughs> offense, offense, people were, were bored and, and upset about yeah. it. I mean, there were moments of the game that were boring. Like you see back to back to back drives with punts and everything, but it's not that it was boring football, right? Like there, there's two dynamics to this one. It's a football game. But two, it's the Super Bowl, and there's a reason more people tune in to the Super Bowl than any other football game all year long, and it's because it's the Super Bowl. It's a spectacle. It's a show. So people expect to see fireworks. They expect to see big plays and and great moments and all that stuff, and not for nothing, but like great coverage by Gilmore for the Patriots is not like what you think of when you think of classic Super Bowl content. You know what I mean? Like his interception, yes. But there's a lot of other stuff that he did. I saw some people on Twitter talking about how he should have been an MVP candidate. And going back and thinking of all the stuff he did, he should have been. But outside of his interception, nothing that he did in that game is going to go into the all-time highlight reel of Super Bowls. And that's why, to the casual viewer, to a large chunk of the population that was watching the Super Bowl, it's a very boring experience. Yeah, I mean, but I, you know, I was glued to the television. You're always kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. And Honestly, I'm sure there's something we're going to talk about. I was just really wanting to know when the hell Todd Gurley was going to get back in the game. Right? That was mind-boggling to me. And, yeah. you know, they've said all week long, you know, nothing's wrong with him. He's healthy. Todd Gurley has said all week long, nothing's wrong. I'm healthy. I can't remember who I was who I was listening to. It might have been Florio. might have been Mike Florio on Pro Football Talk, um, their morning show on Sirius. But somebody had said that even behind closed doors, or no, it was Rich Eisen. It was Eisen that I was listening to. They all start to run together after a little while. He said behind closed doors, off the record, you know, he's talked to people and they've still maintained that Todd Gurley was healthy. There's no excuse for the number one running back in the NFL to have as little opportunity as he had in the biggest game of the season, if he's healthy enough to go. And when he carried the ball, he looked great. Now, unfortunately, we saw you know, a, a phantom holding call that negated a 14-yard run by Gurley, which you know, shifted some of the momentum of, of the game at that point and of that drive because the, the Rams' offense, it still wasn't great. It was never great. But they were starting to get things going a little bit. And... Mm-hmm. You know, to to Sean McVay's credit, you know he he shouldered all the blame. He didn't put any of it on Goff or or any of his players. He he sat there, he took his beating, and he said flat out, "I was out coached. I yeah. was out coached tonight." Well, 
he started off behind the eight ball because he outcoached himself. Yeah. He outcoached himself by taking Todd Gurley out of this game. And with as, as effective as Todd Gurley looked, carrying the ball, even if he was hurt, this is it. There is right. no tomorrow. Yeah. You know, if, if Gurley's saying I can go despite, you know, if his knee was hurt or quad or, or hip or something, let him go until he says, I can't do it anymore because this is it. He's off for the next seven months. You right. had to win this game. You may never get back. Yeah, I mean the the Buccaneers are an example of this. Uh, you know the Ravens are an example. Of this. There, there's a lot of teams that are examples of you don't get to the Super Bowl every year. Even even the Patriots, as many times as they've they've been to the Super Bowl, they're not winning every time they go uh, because just it's too it's as as amazing as it is that they've even been to this many championship games. It's even harder and even harder to fathom that they would win all of them or you know, all but one. So to get here to this point, you know, and and you hear a lot of veteran players talk about young players talking about how they just think that it's going to happen again, how you got there, you know, Jared Goff's in his second year in the NFL and or third year in the NFL. And so we'll get here again. That's, that's definitely not the case. You look at a running back like Todd Gurley, who's already had knee problems. And now here we are talking about his knee in the playoffs. I mean, there's, there's nothing that says, you know, hope, not on wood, hope it doesn't happen to him. There's nothing that says he doesn't blow his knee out in the preseason the next year and his career is over, and this was it. So unless Todd Gurley just has some serious internal damage, which, I mean, the Rams aren't reporting it, he's not reporting it, I don't know. Like that's It's it's definitely weird because if, if you're hiding it, I would think you're hiding it so that you get some sort of competitive advantage. I don't know, but there was no – it's just – it's a weird situation. But did you see C.J. Anderson's conversation at the Super Bowl? Oh, when, when he said that – you know, Gurley was going to go and yeah. you know, as much as he could go. Yeah. It, was, it was, it was something close to that. He, he phrased right. it very strangely that kind of made people's ears perk up. Exactly. There was something wrong with Todd Gurley and, and I'm not questioning Gurley's toughness. My, I just wonder why aren't you just saying that there was something wrong? Like just, just come out with it. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're not going to, like if you beat the Patriots, it's not going to be because ha ha you thought Todd Gurley was coming out and he didn't because not for nothing. But if you're prepared to face Todd Gurley, you're prepared to face CJ Anderson. Like a lot of respect for what CJ has done since he got his you know his chance with the Rams and all that stuff. But there's a reason that dude was on the street when the Rams came calling, and it's not because he's a world beater, you know. So if you are prepared to stop Todd Gurley, you are prepared to stop CJ Anderson. There's zero strategic advantage the Rams got from hiding whatever is bothering Gurley. And all you really did was, I mean, you're from a, from a Rams perspective, you're either questioning the decision-making of your coach because he sat your captain, all-pro talent running back in the Super Bowl for most of the game, or you're questioning the toughness of your running back because there's nothing significant enough for you to be on the injury report, yet you weren't out there. So which one is it? You either got a dumb coach or a, a weak running back. Those are really your only two options when you think about it, and I don't think, honestly, either of them is true. I think Todd Gurley is injured, and the Rams didn't want to say anything about it for whatever reason, and now it's just kind of brought up all these questions because he did play just not very often uh, and not often enough to get on any type of real consistent role. So just weird all around. Um, Only thing weirder was the halftime show, but that was just a weird part of the game. Yeah, people on Twitter did not like my Travis Scott take. Well, I mean, a lot of them did, but I I took some heat for my Travis Scott tweet. Yeah, you did. 
Yeah. But I called old man a couple of times. I did. I did. And I'm, I'm not old, but you know, I know, I know what does and does not make my ears bleed. And to me, the best part of the Travis Scott performance was when they cut the audio because of language. Like it was such a relief. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't bad. Yeah. The halftime show was bad. His part wasn't, I mean, terrible, but it wasn't. Uh, it was terrible. Good. It, I'm it glad it was short. It was very short. I'm glad yeah. it was short. Really kind of just a footnote of the whole whole thing. As we predicted, Big Boy was the best part. Yep. Um, that was kind of easy to see coming. So, Which, by the way, for those of you who have not seen, everyone go check David's Twitter account <laughs> at DH82 underscore bucks. There's a tweet up there that if it gets 500,000 retweets, friend of the show JC Cornell will send the draft network crew to the combine with an entrance equal to that of big boy during the halftime show. We need to get that retweeted a lot. We need, we need our friend page to roll up in there, rocking the fur coat when they get to the combine. Cause that would be incredible. Yeah. I I saw this brought up Uh, Mm -hmm. my, my very close lifelong best friend, um, he posted this on Twitter on uh, on Facebook, okay. Mm-hmm. And I haven't prepared you for this because I really just thought about it, but I want to get your take. And his point is, he says, you know, he gets it. Okay, Belichick has six rings, but we need to stop acting like he's some sort of genius. And he goes on to list the coaches that he has faced in the Super Bowl. Mike Martz is his second season. John Fox, when he was with the Panthers, it was his second season. Dan Quinn, second season with the Falcons. Doug Peterson, second season with the Eagles. McVay, second season with the Rams. Pete Carroll, his fifth season with the Seahawks. And then there was Tom Coughlin, who has been around forever. And then Andy Reid in his fifth year with the Eagles. So his argument is basically that he's out coaching these young new head coaches, not you know the veteran coaches that have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Here's my argument to that. Unless you would like to give yours first. Would you like to go first so you don't know what I'm going to say? Sure. Okay. The genius isn't in necessarily beating each of those coaches in the Super Bowl. The genius is consistently getting to the Super Bowl because he's beating coaches time in and time out uh, with, with differing levels of experience and knowledge in, in the game. And if you look at some of the teams, like the Giants, like the Giants beating the Patriots that year in Super Bowl is nothing short of miraculous. Um, it took some crazy things to go down in that game for the Giants to win that game. You know, uh, you know, all, all the credit to them or whatever. I mean, they, they played a good game, but uh, that helmet catch, like David Tyree, is never going to make that catch again. That's that's the one and only time in his entire life and career that he's going to make that catch. It just so happened to be in the Super Bowl. So, but but that's where the genius is. The genius is he has figured out how to create a monster that can feed itself. Like he doesn't spell for him to win, but he'll allow you to. You know, like if you want to stand there and, and slit your own throat, he's not going to stop you and, and keep you from doing it. But if you don't do it for for him. He has the ability to do it to you. And, and that's why his his coaching tree is so popular. That's why you see, you know, all of his assistant coaches get hired by other teams because they're all like, oh, well, they're they're sipping from the from the magic potion. 
So let's bring him into our franchise and tell our guys how to make the same thing. Well, here's the problem. He's the only one that knows the recipe. And so you take all these coaches and you, and you send them, like you sent Josh McDaniels to Denver and he walks in the building. These players and these, these other personnel don't look at a guy like Josh McDaniels or a guy like crap. Who's the guy in Detroit right now? Matt Patricia. Patricia. You drank from the well. You don't have the well. You didn't make the well. You didn't fill it. You drank from it. These players, there's, there's, it's more than just a football theology. Bill Belichick has something about him that makes his players buy in no matter what. Randy Moss went in there and said, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, can I have some more, sir? More than he did with any other coach his entire career. Um, the fact that he and Tom Brady can still function as a unit. I mean, how many times have we seen one quarterback and one head coach get along for so many years for the betterment of the team? Never. You know, the, the only other coach I can really even compare as far as relationship, not success, but as relationship, might be McNabb and Reed. But even they didn't see eye to eye. Even they had conflict. Even they had problems that hurt the team at certain points. So it's just amazing. And Belichick's the only one. He's the only guy who can do it. None of his assistants are going to go do it. Now, they might have some football knowledge, but that's not what coaches in his tree. And that's why I almost don't blame McDaniels for what he did because you don't get hired from the Bill Belichick coaching tree to have a good team. You get hired from the Bill Belichick coaching tree to win a Super Bowl. Like these NFL owners are trying to walk up to his coaching tree, snap off a twig, plant it in their own backyard, and grow a Lombardi trophy. And it ain't going to happen because there's only one Bill Belichick. That's what makes him the genius. It's not beating the the 33-year-old in his first time in the playoffs uh, in, in Atlanta. It's the fact that he's still getting there after all this time. Nobody has figured out what Bill Belichick is doing and how to stop it. Okay. It's, to me, part of the genius of Bill Belichick is his ability, even at 66 years old, to look at this game, see how it's evolving, and still be ahead of the curve. Now, the argument that I made with with my buddy on his particular post was when you look at Bill Belichick, it hasn't a lot of the time, it hasn't been the Super Bowl that's been the test. It's been the AFC playoffs. It's been having to go through the Colts and the Steelers and the Broncos and the Chargers. Year after year after year. How many Super Bowls could Peyton Manning and Tony Dungy had won had they not had to face Belichick and Brady? Oh yeah. I mean, we're we're talking about Phillip Rivers, who to me is a Hall of Fame quarterback who will never play in a Super Bowl because unfortunately for him, he played in an era where he had to mm-hmm. go against Belichick and Brady, Peyton Manning. And Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. That to me has always been the test. It hasn't been the Super Bowl. It's been the fact that out of the last 18 years that they have made it to half of the Super Bowls, going through those teams, going through those coaches, it's it's an incredible feat. And I don't like the Patriots. No. But that is so damn impressive that you have to tip your cap to them at this point. Yeah. And and one of the one of the things my buddy brought up that said, you know, this is, you know, this could be a discussion for another day is everyone talks about Brady and Belichick, not the other great players 
that were around Brady. Yeah. Well, let's look at it. What great players have been around Brady? Randy Moss, of course, mm-hmm. arguably the greatest receiver in the history of the game. If you want to put him up against Jerry Rice, I think you can make a legitimate argument. Yeah. Rob Gronkowski will go to the Hall of Fame. Whether or not he's first ballot, <laughs> I don't think so because he doesn't have the longevity. But yeah. when Gronk was on, he was the best and most dominant tight end this league has ever seen. Yeah, Gronk reminds me of like Yao Ming of the NBA. Like he wasn't, but you look at Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis was the same. Terrell Davis was arguably one of the most talented running backs to ever play the game of football, but his career was so short that it's hard right. to really put him in that conversation. Yeah. Other than that, what great offensive pieces have been around Tom Brady? No, I, mean, I, I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, he's won I, Super Bowls with Julian Edelman, Chris Hogan, Danny Amendola. Uh, Wes Welker. Wes Welker. Troy, Troy Brown. Yeah, Troy Brown. Yeah, man. I mean, no, I mean, there's, there's a lot of Robert Ories uh, playing around that Hakeem Olajuwon. So. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Well, and then you look at the defensive side of the ball. Of course, you have you know, Willie McGinnis. Yeah, uh, uh, Rodney Harrison. Yeah, Ty Law. Oh yeah, the first few they won with defense. I mean, well, Tom Brady wasn't quite Tom Brady yet, but he was definitely on his way, and and the defense had a big part to do with that. But right, and that's uh, that's the point that I'm getting to, which which I'm you know. glad you said that because Belichick orchestrate. You know, he's a defensive guy. Mm-hmm. You know that's what he does, and it doesn't matter. What players have cycled through the Patriots over the last two decades? They're always there. And when you look at the Super Bowl, and and if any of you are listening to this before 8.30 in the morning, I I have an article about this coming up on Bucks Nation. When you look at the past five Super Bowls, that's a sample size that I used. This is not a new NFL. Everyone wants to talk about the new NFL. It's all offense. You know, it's it's the 54 to 51 Monday night football game between the Rams and the Chiefs. And, and everyone wanted to see that rematch in the Super Bowl. How exciting that would be. Defense still wins championships. Out of the last 10 Super Bowl participants, obviously that's two per year for the last five years, two teams have had scoring defenses outside the top 10 in the NFL. And they both lost out of the last 10 Super Bowl participants. Two teams have had rushing offenses outside of the top 10. They both won, but you can make the argument that one of them shouldn't have had the number one rushing offense in the NFL handed the ball to Marshawn Lynch instead of throwing a slant at the goal line. Out of the last, do I? That was crazy. It was. Out of the last five Super Bowls, the team that has had the higher ranked scoring offense through the season has lost Mm -hmm. to the team that had the higher ranked scoring defense. Defense wins championships. Mm -hmm. The NFL is never going to change. 
The more things change, the more they stay the same. 54 to 51 games are exciting and they're fun. And the fantasy football world is just beside themselves with excitement because fantasy football has grown into a multi-billion dollar industry that those of us have been playing for the last 20 years never could have imagined. But at the end of the day, in the biggest game of the year, what won it for the New England Patriots? Was it Tom Brady? It was defense. It was the defense. Sony Michelle. Yes, it was the defense and it was Sony Michelle. Throw in some Rex Burkhead, sprinkle in a little James White. It was their running attack where Sony Michelle set records for postseason rushing success. And it was a top five scoring defense stopping the number two scoring offense in football. Yep. The NFL is never going to change. No, at the end of the day, it's not. It's it's always going to be about defense. You can do whatever you want to the penalty systems and everything else. But at the end of the day, it, football is what football is. And I've seen a lot of tweets. Uh, one notably was from Jenna Lane talking about how this was the easy season. Everybody was talking about these new penalties or the new focus on enforcements and all this stuff and how you know being a defender just didn't make any sense anymore because you couldn't do anything and, and so on and so forth. And here's how we finished the year. Um Defense matters. Defense is always going to matter. Even Eagles Patriots at the end of the day, it was the defense of the Philadelphia Eagles that sealed the deal versus the Patriots. It wasn't Nick Foles coming in there and just bulldozing over the Patriots. That's not how it went down. If you go back to that game, the Eagles defense stifled the Patriots offense enough to allow the Eagles offense, the flexibility and relaxation to do what they needed to do because if you flip that around, and, and, it, and Tony Romo talked about it early in the game yesterday, if the Patriots jump out to like a 10 nothing lead against the Rams, that game is over and it's ugly. The, the Eagles were in a very similar situation. The Eagles had an offense where they needed to be able to play from ahead or feel like they had some sort of control over the game. And as long as they did that because the defense was doing what they needed to do against the offense, they were, they were in a good position. Yeah, no, very valid point. And uh, I wrote something on Bucks Nation. I can't remember the exact number anymore. I want to say six. Of the playoff teams this year, scored fewer points per average than the Buccaneers did. Um, oh, I believe it. Yet the Bucs weren't even sniffing a playoff position. Um, so it just shows how valuable defenses are. Uh, it's yeah. Well, and and the two teams in the Super Bowl both had top ten rushing offenses. The Rams number one, and I believe the Patriots were number nine. So you had one team with a top 10 scoring defense. The Rams were, I believe, 17th, 16th or 17th. Patriots were in the top 10. And then you had two teams with top 10 rushing offenses. Any guess as to Tampa Bay's rank in scoring defense? This year? Yes. 26th. 31st. That was close. They And they only gave up 0.2 points less per game than the Oakland Raiders. Any guess as to their uh their rank in rushing offense? Rushing offense? Yes. 26th. <laughs> so close. <laughs> I don't know why the number 26 is in my head, but it is. 27th. Nice. So despite the fact that Tampa Bay was in the top 15 in the NFL in scoring offense, they had the next to last scoring defense and an abysmal rushing offense. This Buccaneers team is not that far. They have talent. They have to get two 
Arias corrected, and that's why the hire of Bruce Arians was so important. That's why the hire of Todd Bowles was so important. That's Mm -hmm. why we're talking for the fourth year in a row about addressing the running back spot. They're not that far away. It it very well could be a quick turnaround for Mm -hmm. these Bucks. They just got to get a couple of things right. But this team, people want to put all the blame on Jameis, and you can do that until you're blue in the face. The simple fact of the matter is this team is putting up points and yards at a record pace, and the defense is allowing more, and that's the difference. Yeah, I mean, the only thing the quarterback can do to affect the run game is call line shifts and have a really awesome ball fake in the play action. That's that's pretty much it. And I don't know how much the ball fake really impacts things, to be quite honest with you. Um, the line shifts, I don't know. Does does James call the protections in the shifts, or does Ryan Jensen? Uh, honestly, I'm not 100% sure, and it could change under under Leftwich and Arians anyway. Yeah, but I'd be interested. I'd be interested to know who calls who calls the uh, the shifts I wanna, on the line. I want to say it's Jensen because I seem to remember Ali Marpet was calling him last year. We'll have to see if we can track down that information. Well, I mean, I I know that we can find it out here in a few days, potentially. Let's. Here's the last question I have because I don't know how much time we're at, but I know we're uh, we're, we're over on time. But you okay. you can you can go ahead and ask. We'll make it quick. Best. NFL Super Bowl. Well, not the NFL Super Bowl. Best Super Bowl commercial. Uh, oof. It's got to be the NFL 100, right? Yeah. I, I say it's so. either the NFL 100 or the Bud Light Game of Thrones crossover. Yeah, it's definitely those two. Like that's definitely like the that's that's one Alpha one Bravo. Um, I was a big I think fan the of the NFL Stella, one. The go ahead. The NFL one. What? I think the NFL one ekes it out just because. It's a Super Bowl. So anything that links that many generations of the NFL together is just amazing. It was really well done, too. And I, I remember vividly, I mean, that that season, that 75th anniversary season when they had those patches on their jerseys is really the first season that I can remember as a kid. I mean, I know I watched football before that, but that season I remember vividly. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when I really had a deep dive in, into football. So it's wild to me that, that we're going to have these 100-year patches on their jerseys next season. That's crazy. But, yeah. Um, yeah, of course, I was a big fan of the Stella Artois, or Artois, however you pronounce it. The, the Stella commercial that mm-hmm. started off with uh, Matthew Broderick's wife from Sex and the City and then enter the dude, the big Lebowski. Uh, that, was, that was a beautiful thing. You don't get it because you haven't seen Lebowski yet, and people need to shame you into watching it. Talking to you, Carmen. Uh, so I sent you a picture today. You did? Yeah, this morning. I don't know if I remember this. It was of my television. It was of your television. I do remember there, this now. There was a tumbleweed on it, on the screen. Oh, you know what? 100% honesty here. When I looked at that, it looked like on your TV was a photo of a beach. Oh, uh, no, it was definitely, it was a tumbleweed. It was a tumbleweed on a beach. Yeah. But yeah, I see the tumbling tumbleweed. So yeah. you watched Lebowski? <laughs> You're gonna hate me. Oh, and you hated I it. I fell asleep oh. in the middle of watching the big Lebowski. Listen, I'm gonna finish it. Okay, but I'm an hour in, and that is one of the dumbest movies I've ever watched. Oh, how dare I don't you. Know now, I don't to know be fair, to be fair, 
the first time I sat down and watched it, I, I was watching it with a buddy of mine. He said, you have to see this movie. I said, all right. Mm-hmm. So I sat down and I watched it and I probably chuckled maybe two or three times. Yeah. I was like, well, yeah, it was okay. And then I watched it again and I started picking up other little things. Then mm-hmm. I watched it again and really started to pick up on more things. And it's one of those, I, I was the same way with Anchorman. The more I watched it, the funnier and better it got. Maybe. I remember watching Napoleon Dynamite for the first time, and I thought that was the dumbest movie that could ever possibly be created. Top five worst movie of all time. Yeah. And then the very next day at work, a bunch of friends and I were talking about just how bad that movie was, and suddenly it became hilarious. Yeah. No, it never became hilarious for me. It's it's more fun. I've never watched it a second time. I've still only watched it the one time when I thought it was the dumbest movie I've ever seen. It's more fun to talk about than it is to watch. Maybe the Big Lebowski is like that. I don't know. Um, I, I like John John Goodman. Um, the thing Best I really like about his character is I know a lot of who are like that. So it, it makes me laugh because, yeah, they're, they're equally ridiculous about it. Um, but anyway, I digress. All right. Well, David, we got to wrap this episode up and the next episode, we are going to power through as many of your voicemails as humanly possible. You guys have close to filled our, our inbox here with voicemails. So we are going to power through as many of them as we can, but we probably won't be able to get to all of them. But in the meantime, make sure you're checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you're following along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. Continue to send in voicemails. We will get to it at some point. The number is 813-444-5841. Hope you all have a wonderful and enjoyable day. And thank you all so much for joining us right here at Locked on It's official. I survived what I've been through. Y'all got drama. The saga continues. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We can't be stopped now, cause it's bad boy for life. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We can't be stopped now, cause it's bad boy for life.